When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hola, buenos dias, and that's all the Spanish I have for you. Some of that might not even have been Spanish, but welcome back to the Love Tennis podcast where I have returned from my travels. It was nice to hear uh, last week George and Calvin show just how much they listen when I talk when they couldn't even work out where I had gone on holiday, but they had at least <laughs> noticed that I wasn't there. I'm James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. Uh, tennis writer George Belshaw is with me. We're going to be joined a little bit later on by tennis coach Calvin Betton, of course, our regular resident coach. Uh, we're going to be going through all the biggest storylines from the last week of tennis. Also looking forward to a really great start to the American hardcore season. And I'll be catching you up, maybe, if you have time a little bit of my travels around uh, northern Spain, southern France, and weirdly Scotland. Uh, but that's quite enough of self-indulgent holiday chat for the moment. Uh, I would instead like some self-indulgent review chat. Uh, now, as you know, we really like it when people leave us reviews uh, on iTunes, on Spotify, although you can't do a long review there. Sometimes people just tweet saying, I really like Love Tennis Podcast, and that makes us very happy as well. Um, but please do, if you have an Apple device, go leave us a five-star review. Say something nice about the podcast. It helps other people find us. The more people that listen, the more podcasts we can do. That's the, the very straightforward uh, thing about this game. The more the more we do, the more you do, the more we do. And it just goes on like that. But eventually, George and I will just be podcasting about 18 hours a day. I've realised that that is the, the natural end to this. Um, we haven't had any reviews this week. That's why I'm talking about it so much. Uh, but please do. A- even 80s Villager, who usually leaves us a review a week, which I don't think <laughs> 80s Villager knows I can read every review, but it just deletes on the system and it all just logs. Uh, but I look forward to seeing what 80s Villager has to say about us this week. Uh, if you want to send us an email, by the way, if you don't want to put what you think about the podcast out there, if you've got like negative stuff to say, 
like please do email us lovetennispod at gmail.com um i say that because basically if you stick a review on that's negative that's there forever and like even two or three years later when we're doing things differently and we've changed and grown because of what you said that review's still there so drop us an email we we love hearing from people we do try really hard to you know make this podcast your podcast uh, and so we really do appreciate when you let us know what you think what you like and what you don't like um, we've had a couple of emails over the last couple of weeks which I am going to catch up on um, over the next couple of weeks we, I think we're going to try and do a mailbag episode basically when we go through lots of them because most of it is like what does Calvin think about this um, and, does uh, no one care what I think about it uh, uh, George if I answer that honestly you're not going to like the answer <laughs> so yes there's also lots of people asking what George thinks about things um, I can assure you, no one cares what I think about things. Uh, as, as a challenge, you... as a challenge for someone this week to write a, an email asking something that I specifically they uh, want, to, yeah, specifically. Know about. No, George is an Aston Villa fan. If that, if that, you know, if that, if that, <laughs> if that maybe colours what you think about him or things you need to know about. It might, it might be something he knows a bit more about than tennis. Um, anyway, that's quite enough of that. Let's move on to the real action. We've got loads of things to talk about this week. We're going to talk about Nick Kyrgios. We're going to talk about doubles. Talk about Alex de Manur, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, Venus Williams, Serena Williams, Emma Raducanu, Dimitri Tursunov, not a name I thought I'd be saying this week, Jack Draper, Carl, Evan, Carl Edmund, uh, Daniil Medvedev, Cam Norrie, Coco Goff, Gavinia Muguruza, even Bianca Andreescu, and Ash Barty. Uh, anyway, we'll start with Nick Kyrgios, everyone's favourite, or at least everyone's second favourite, or maybe most hated, depending on where you are, uh, player. He has had an eventful week. He signed up for singles and doubles in Atlanta. He pulled out of singles, but did not pull out the doubles, and consequently won the title uh, with Tenasi Kokonakis, the Australian Open doubles champions. They're heading to New York at the end of this month to play doubles there. Hope, they're hoping to pick up their second Grand Slam title. And they beat Piers and Kubler in straight sets in the final in Atlanta. Uh, George, I, I know you're a big Nick Kyrgios fan, and I know there are many more of you uh, than there were maybe even three months ago, I would suggest. Uh, but weird to pull out the singles and then play the doubles, isn't it? Uh, well, I guess, you know, it, there's a degree more loading. So it was a knee problem, wasn't it? So, that, you know, you're probably loading a lot more in the singles in terms of kind of getting... Up and down relentlessly, even if he's maybe not the uh, the biggest grinder on the ATP tour. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can kind of understand that. I mean, he, he and Tanasi play a pretty quick game. You know, it's got huge numbers of uh, extensive rallies in their kind of uh, styles. And you know, I think it's good that you've got to recognise singles players playing doubles together regularly at a high level I, I do think that is adding something else and you know it'd be nice at the end of the season if you had these guys in the doubles because that naturally would bring more attention to it to be honest you know we, Kyrgios has obviously reached the final of Wimbledon but he's not going to be at the ATP finals because he didn't get any points for it but you know he's got a decent chance of making the ATP finals if they do well at the US Open um, so I th- am I right in saying that is it like the singles where if you're a Grand Slam champion as a pair and you're in the top 20, then you get in? Is that right? Um, that's certainly what the singles is. 
I believe so, yeah. And in fairness, they are currently sixth in the race, like, uh, you know, Kokonakis and Kyrgios. So they are on track to make the ATP finals on, on points merit as well. And you think if they, you know, if they win a couple of rounds of the US Open as well, you would think they're pretty much guaranteed a place. Like like I said, I can't even really see them dropping out of the top 20, so they'll probably get in anyway. But yeah, yeah, uh, which would be positive because I also think the World Tour Finals... I don't know whether this is just like because I live in London and they were in London, but they felt like less of a big deal in Turin. Like, and and again, maybe that's just really like narrow-minded of me, but I felt definitely a bit less interested in them. I don't know how you felt about that, George. Yeah, I mean, it is difficult, isn't it? Because I mean, it's hard for me as well because it, you know that was an event I had been to for five, six years in a row and obviously didn't go last year so in, in terms of it being quite a big deal in my own personal life you know having <laughs> spent every waking hour down at the o2 basically um you know it, it was a bit of a weird feeling but i i also think there is something about kind of moving to a new venue taking a new event it does take a bit of time for it to grow in i would say i wouldn't say london was perfect when it started it really kind of grew into itself as an event and yeah you know even when it wasn't like the best players really performing at its peak in kind of the latter years, I would say like it, it still as an event was very slick, very well done, um, which, which does big, I'm not saying it isn't well done in Turin, but like, they'll develop their own style and put their own stamp on yeah. it. I'm sure. And you don't really have like those, le- I hate the phrase legacy fans, but you know, with the O2 arena and the ATP world tour finals, a certain percentage of the fans in that room would have been there last year. And would have gone. Oh, it was actually really good. It was a bit spenny, but you know, it was good fun. Let's go again. Let's take a few mates. Let's tell a few more people like that. Like, if you get a good event going, you do kind of snowball your your fans a bit. Um, so yeah, as you say, I suppose new events always take a bit of a bit of selling, unless you're like Mexico, who just appear to get a new <laughs> event and sell it out immediately, and are like, yeah, great, okay, we'll do this more often. Yeah, and look. <laughs> I suppose that was the big argument taking it away from Europe in any sense and kind of taking it to a new country. And that, that worked really well with the WTA finals last year, as you've kind of alluded to with Mexico there. Um, the the bigger challenge, of course, being that the tour kind of finishes in Europe and these players are being really dragged all over the world all year. And their bodies are knackered and they're probably thinking, no, I don't really want another time zone yeah. for one yeah. week of the year to then come back to the Davis Cup. It's yes. you know, not ideal. Um Speaking of Nick Kyrgios and injury, because that's what we were talking about all of five minutes ago before we got <laughs> sidetracked, um, he says he still sees himself as a top 10 player. He says he's not bothered about the fact he's not going to be seeded at the US Open, and that was, you know, part, it was one worry about pulling out of the singles in Atlanta. You know, he could have picked up a lot of points and moved his way up the, uh, the rankings a bit, because as you mentioned, George, he didn't get those ranking points for reaching the final at Wimbledon. I mean, how concerned. As someone, if you were in Nick Kyrgios's camp, I mean, God help you if you were, uh, how concerned would you be by not being seeded? Because, you know, he's played a decent amount of tennis, but he's already had multiple injury concerns this summer. And if you do get seeded, it gives you two easier matches in theory in the first two rounds. Whereas he now knows he's going to play a seeded player almost certainly in round one or round two of the US Open. And, and that's going to... If he wants to win a Grand Slam, and, like, he, he reached the Wimbledon final, this is now what we're talking about. Like, we're not talking about, oh, it'd be great if Nick Kyrgios got to another semi-final. No, absolutely not. We're saying, 
we want Nick Kyrgios to win a Grand Slam. We may not. Uh, but but if, if that's the kind of ceiling you're talking about for him, he has to do it without dropping early sets. Yeah. I mean, it's a funny one with Nick now because I think this particular US Open, I'd almost be less bothered about the seeding to a degree. And I say that meaning, you know, Zverev isn't there. Nadal, we don't know if he'll... 100% be there or what condition he's in. Djokovic doesn't seem like he's there. So you kind of if, if all that happened, you're looking at Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sissipas, Kasper Ruud, top four seeds. Now Kasper Ruud, if Nick Kyrgios falls in his section of the draw, you'd back Nick Kyrgios to be able to beat him on a hard court as well as Ruud's play this year. Also popcorn emoji because yeah, exactly. they don't exactly get on. Yeah. And then you're looking at the next section that's is Rublev, Ojer Aliassim, Sinner, Hercat. You know, all good players, but 50-50 toss-ups with Kyrgios, really. So I, I agree with you, it would be a lot better if he was seeded, but I'm not, I don't see the depth as much now for a guy like Kyrgios that I'm automatically worried. Um, that said, I don't, I don't know if he, if the US Open suits him as a tournament that I can think he can win. I don't, I don't, it, Why not? It is typically, I don't know. It just it can be a little bit slow. It's a bit of a funny one. The U.S. Open. It a it can be like a really feverish atmosphere, which I don't actually think feeds into him always that right, well. Okay. Like so, a big night session there can really, you know, it's, it's a pretty intense colder. And you know, I'm not saying it would be on Arthur Ashe straight away, but in the kind of latter matches, yeah, it, it would be kind of fever pitch in there. It can be pretty humid Cor- that time of year as well, which makes yeah. it slow. Yeah, exactly. It's they're not the quickest conditions. Like Australia suits him way more as a hard court than the US Open. I think yeah. and he has done better results there. Um, I don't. It's not to say he can't do well there, but you know, US Open Medvedev is a much better player there than the Australian Open, and that that's saying that despite him reaching the final, you know, it's it's a slower court. It's harder to hit through, and I don't see like Kyrgios beating a Medvedev necessarily on that court. But I could see him doing it at Australia at Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird set of conditions the US Open, you know, and like even in the women's side they use quite a different ball. I know that's been talked about before in the context of Ash Barty and how I know Tizza always said she would never win the US Open because the ball just just didn't suit her at all and and it's bouncier, I think. I don't know, Calvin will talk, talk better about it, but yeah. And I, look, we spoke we've spoken a lot about him during this year in terms of everything that needs to go right for him to reach a grand slam title. And we, we sort of said in Miami, didn't we? Like, you know, he's playing really well. That That's the first thing he needs. He's been fit and seemingly kind of managing his schedule quite well. He needs to avoid a total meltdown that stops him tanking a match, which he has done at Wimbledon, but there were still a few moments where it could have spiralled. Um, but I think the fitness point probably ties into the conditions at Wimbledon. He wasn't playing that many long matches. Even his five-setter barely went over three hours, did it, I think. Mm. Um, so, look, he 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 will need to be more physically robust. He seems to be fairly sensible with the knee and what he's doing now. But, I don't know, if he got into lots of grindy matches against, you know, whatever, Bautista and Goom and Rublev and Medvedev or something, you know, that, that, that would be a, a tough style of player for him to just keep going through and, and not get relentlessly bored in his own words and by bored I mean someone wearing him down and having more competitive grit 
Mm. Uh, and he will, of course, be playing doubles with Tanasi Kokonakis, as I mentioned. Uh, Tanasi, who also had... Well, Nick Kyrgios had an interesting singles result because he didn't play at all. Uh, Tanasi Kokonakis had an interesting singles result in uh, Atlanta because he lost to Andres Martin, who was making his ATP Tour singles debut. Um, he's from a town called Flowery Branch in Georgia, which might be one of my favourite names of any place ever. <laughs> Uh, it's it's in the metropolitan area of Gainesville, I'm reliably informed, which I seem to think was quite important in the last US election. That's all I can really tell you about. It's quite a swingy part of Georgia, I think. Anyway, not the point. Uh, he beat Tanazi Gokanakis, uh, and then, am I right in saying, Georgia, that he then called Kyrgios the goat? <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I was kind of hoping Calvin would be on at this point, because uh, I was wondering if he knows about Andres Martin. I think I'm right, he, he's a collegiate player. Okay. So... We'll put a Calvin pin in that. sometimes has his feelers out in the US college system, yeah, doesn't yeah. he? Because quite a few Brits go over there and I think kind of feed back. Um, well, I'm reliably It was a great result. Good <laughs> scoreline, wasn't it? Was it two and three, something like that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really good result. It, you know, I think we forget that Tanasi has played to a very high level in the singles game because I think more often than not, we just think of him as Nick's doubles partner. Like, which is obviously like pretty harsh, but he has played some very decent singles tennis. He's he was a brilliant singles player. I mean, and he he still produces big match wins at Australian Opens and other other big events. Um, and you know, he, he's a player who's had tremendous difficulty with injury that's really curbed that talent. But yeah, he's. Do you know? Okay. Do you know that his best Grand Slam result is at the French Open? That's the most surprising thing about Tanasi Kokonakis. I, I did not know that. Was that third round? Third round. It's the only time he's ever round. been to the third round of Grand Slam. Uh, yeah. In the 2015 uh, French Open, he beat Basil Ashvili and Bernard Tomic and then lost to Djokovic. Anyway, it's just one of those completely pointless, unhelpful and weird stats, uh, but maybe indicates that injury has hampered him pretty significantly. Um Atlanta, incidentally, in the singles, was won by Alex de Menor, who beat Jensen Brooksby. Uh, Jensen Brooksby, whose run to the final was significant for beating Francis TFO and then sort of half-heartedly mocking his LeBron James silence celebration, uh, which, I don't know, Jensen Brooksby is just the weirdest guy as far as I can tell. Is he, is he quite unpopular? No, honestly, I, I, I don't know enough about his social circles, but he, he does... <laughs> He does just seem to have a bit of a weird edge to him sometimes, doesn't he? I, I, I struggle to get a, a proper read on him. I, I don't know him that well, admittedly. He's kind of, yeah, he's only 21, isn't he? So he wasn't really kind of bursting through on the tour. I watched him practice at Queen's uh, with, oh God, that lefty guy, Bryden Klein, I think his name is. Yeah. And like, Brooksby obviously doesn't really like the grass, you know, he doesn't really know it very well, albeit he did get to the third round of Wimbledon, but... Um, you know, like Klein's like obviously a pretty wily operator and they were just practicing and it was a hot day, it was a really hot day. And like all Brooksby for about twenty minutes, the only word he said words he said were so physical. So physical. <laughs> he just just like kept turning to his coach and being like, So physical. So physical. And I was like, There must be more to this but he literally said almost nothing else for the twenty minutes that I watched him practice. But um yeah, I do think he's a proper tennis nerd and he does play weird tennis. But, you know, it's a good result for him to get to, to a final there. Um, another really good result for Alex de Menor, who I sort of... I went to the race and expected to see him, like, 
flying up there. I mean, he's 18th in the race, but he's having a sort of quietly pretty handy year, isn't he? Yeah, he's doing well. I mean, again, he's another one who's probably missed out on those Wimbledon points yeah. um, in terms of pushing pushing him up a little bit higher. But you know, six titles for Dimonor—that's that's not it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think, he's still I a might, pretty I young might, guy. I might get this completely wrong, but isn't that the same number that David Goffin's got? In fact, and I have double checked it, and it is the same number that David Goffin's got. All, same number as Yannick Sinner as well. Just which is a lovely week. segue into the uh, result in Umag, uh, which I put Umag in the category of like Bustad, Gustad, Justad, Yustad, Tustad, and Umag um, of these just bizarre European clay court tournaments to go on after Wimbledon. It should be said that Umag was a bit stacked. Um, it was, as, yeah. As the final absolutely, uh, absolutely demonstrates. Um, Carlos Alcaraz against Yannick Sinner. They were the top two seeds, in fairness. And I hadn't heard of either of the blokes that they beat in the semi-finals. So um, there's maybe something there. 6-7, um, 6-1, 6-1, Yannick Sinner beat Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, it, it was amazing to see on social media, which I admit is a terrible lens through which to view anything, uh, people writing off Carlos Alcaraz after that defeat. Very similar to the way they wrote off Yannick Sinner over the last two years, I would suggest. Um, having had his big breakthrough and then a bit of a, a plateau. Um, a, this is a match we expect to see in a lot more finals, isn't it? I hope so. I think it could be a really good rivalry. And it's... it's. I, I don't want to say good, but it's encouraging to me that Sin is actually winning some of these matches right yeah. now because there was a bit of a sense, wasn't there, that Alcaraz is so far ahead of everyone else that... No one's going to challenge him, and the fact you've got someone as contemporary beating him a couple of times, I still think Longer and Alcaraz is the guy to beat and has more about his game that will develop further. But Sinner has so many big weapons, can hit through anyone, and he, he feels to me a little bit more resilient, Sinner, I think, from the last few months. Um, you know, I know he had that, he's obviously had a bit of time with Garen Cahill and stuff like that. I don't know exactly what's working for him, what's not working for him per se, but I just sense there's a little bit more belief after that dip. And, you know, on the other hand, Alcaraz has also got to learn that you don't get everything your own way at the top level of the tour. And, you know, it's, okay, he had some losses earlier in the year, but he was top dog really this season yeah. when Nadal wasn't around. Um, and it that stalled slightly since the French Open. Um, still getting to finals, Still doing on, but he, he was unbeaten, I think, in finals before yeah. that. So he's now lost back-to-back -back finals to young guys who want to be pushing him in the future. That that bodes well for the game, I think. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, it's also Yannick Sinner's first ever win over a top five player. Um, Carlos Alcaraz is, now, I think, now up to number four in the world, but he was number five uh, when that match was played. Um, there's one interesting stat, I thought, just looking at it. I, I was comparing it to all Sinner's other top five matches. And in terms of first serve percentage, it was actually one of his lower ones. I think he was first serve percentage like 57%, but winning a lot, which would suggest that he is maybe hitting his serve a bit bigger and, you know, hitting a, a few more risky serves, which 
Mm-hmm. I do think, and Calvin often talks about Yannick Sinner having, you know, one game plan. And you you do think getting someone like Darren Cahill into your corner, there's a lot Darren Cahill can do, but he's not going to let you go into a match with only one game plan. You know, he's a guy who can build you lots of different plans and, and help you with different looks. And I do wonder whether that's going to be the big thing that we see from Yannick Sinner over the next... Because let's face it, you know, he's good on clay, but we think he's very good on hardcore as well. And he's now got six months of hardcore tennis. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was going to kind of say that. I mean, I've, I always thought Sinner's best slam would probably be the US Open for his really good ball-striking ability ability to hit through people really well on that slower surface it felt like that would really suit him in the long run but his best performances i've seen have actually come on the clay like i thought his match against nadal a couple of years ago was probably his breakthrough match in terms of showing okay i can really mix it with the top guys and this is another really really impressive win and you know alcaraz hasn't he, this was the first match he'd lost where he's been a set up. You know, he's been a pretty ruthless operator when he gets his nose in front, as you know, guys like Federer have been throughout their career as well. So, this, yeah, another really impressive uh, result for Sinner and one that hopefully sparks a, a glorious rivalry over the years. Yeah, and I think I do wonder how much, and I would be interested to, because I know Sinner is a tennis nerd and he loves thinking about the game. I'd be interested to know what he thinks now about that defeat to Djokovic at Wimbledon, you know, where he was two sets up, and what he thinks is different about himself now, if that makes any sense. Because, like, a lot of people could go and lose that match and then have a really awful couple of months where they're just like, oh, I'm, I'm not worth it, I'll never be able to compete at the top level. But to kind of bounce back and turn up to a final like this against someone like Alcaraz, I think that shows a bit of mental fortitude. Yeah, and, you know, the obvious comparison is Sissipas, really, isn't it? You know, he, mm. he was absolutely flying to the French Open final, felt like he was going to win it, and then he he really struggled for the, the kind of months after that. So, yeah, look, this, I think the good thing for Sinner about that result is that Djokovic has done that to quite a few people over the last two years. It's becoming less of a shock and more of a, oh, Novak's hustled us again, here we go. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, no major shame there. I mean, Calvin has magically arrived now, so maybe it's not magic, can... George. It's just a Zoom call, mate. Like I just, <laughs> I send you both the link, and eventually he clicks it. It's you know, I know he's in Yorkshire, and we're constantly surprised that they've got you know electric. Happy Yorkshire Day, by the way. Is it Yorkshire Day? It's Yorkshire Day. Calvin, I assume that's nonsense. It is Yorkshire Day. I have no idea what that means. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, the only thing that's happened in Yorkshire, three separate people have sent me that video of Sean Bean saying bastard eight <laughs> times on, um, in, in various shows he's been in. So I assume that's what Yorkshire Day is. I'll be honest, uh, I, I didn't realise it was Yorkshire Day until someone wished me happy Yorkshire Day, my friend from Leeds, Katie. Right, so okay. there you go. I mean, I am, techn- I... I am technically a Yorkshireman by birth as well, so I, I should also okay. be I went to really. Leeds Uni, so we all have our great Yorkshire connections. Uh, that's here. not, no, George, and lots, lots of very <laughs> posh people go to Leeds University these days. It's very silly. I was actually born there and grew up in the county, no less. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. Calvin, we were just talking about Yannick Sinner, one of your favourite topics. Uh, and I was remarking that beating Carlos Alcaraz in the final of Umag, which is an absurd tournament, obviously, that goes without saying, um, it's his first ever win against a top five player, which feels like an important moment and feels like another feather in Darren Cahill's enormous cap. 
Um, yeah, it's he, he's done pretty well. I mean, is Sinner still the only? Is, is, is Alcaraz still the only top five player he's ever beat, and he's been twice? Yeah, he hasn't beaten him twice. Oh, sorry, he, hasn't beaten him twice as a top five. As a top yes, five exactly. Player, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, he's the only top five player at the time yeah. who he has beaten. Having uh, said that, I think we all know. You know, I'm going on. He was one of the best five players in the world when when Sinner beat him last time. Yes. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, it's just it's interesting, and yeah, it is a rivalry that we hope to see uh, much more of over the next well, ten ten years. I mean, realistically, that's what we're talking about here. Possibly fifteen, possibly twenty. I don't know. By the time Yannick Sinner's forty, that might be a normal age for a tennis player. Like that just might be like that's that's what we expect of players. True. Uh, Anyway, moving on, um, talking actually of people ageing or not ageing, Roberto Bautista Agut won a title this week uh, in Kitzbühel, which, to be honest, is a place I more associate with World Cup skiing events than tennis, but that's neither here nor there. This is it's what you get in late July in the tennis world. Uh, he beat Mizulic in the final. Uh, it kind of... I just can't really get my head around the shape of Roberto Bautista Agut's career. Like... He just it's like the shape of his head or something. Then. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's just like he just doesn't go away. Like he just like, no fair play to him. You know, I mean, he's thirty-four, and he just keeps making finals of two fifties and picking up two fifty titles. Like that's his second of the year. Uh, it's his third final. I don't know. Just just kind of made me think weird things. Who's got a really loud beeping noise coming through their mic? That's uh, George, yeah, what's going on? Is someone hoovering? Oh, washing George. Machine. Jo- oh, the washing machine. I'd shut the door, George. That usually helps. This is uh, the Love Tennis Podcast with expert soundproofer George Belshaw. Well, I, I, I said I'd leave the door open because uh, my girlfriend wanted to move some things from one room to the other, but she's now turned on the washing machine, which isn't uh, conducive to great recording. Can I just say as well, just... <laughs> Focusing back on Bautista a second, I was just having a quick scan before we started about kind of the race this year and just where people are. He's 16th, which, you know, is fine. I mean, pretty good, actually, when you consider that's one place behind Cam Norrie, who I think we're all in agreement is doing pretty well at the minute. Yeah. But I was most interested, is Djokovic not going to qualify for the ATP finals? If he, if he doesn't play the US Open, he genuinely, genuinely I don't he's- think he's going to get there. Like, well, he's he, not going to play in the US tournaments, is he? He's currently 10th in the race. Uh, he is 400 points away from the cutoff. Um, it's quite hard to see how he does qualify, to be honest. Because, I mean, he, look, he says he hopes to still play the US Open. I, I think we're all pretty agreed that's blooming unlikely at this point. Like, barring a change of policy in the next three weeks that is not only decided in the next three weeks, but is then enacted in the next three weeks, um, which, to be honest, uh, I don't know US politics that well, but I really can't see it happening. Um, Barring that, he's not going to play the US Open. He obviously can't play any of the ATP events in the US either, because, just to restate this, because people sometimes seem to forget it, the USCA have not banned Novak Djokovic, they are perfectly happy for him to play the tournament. He's not allowed in the country. He's not eligible for a visa. Um, just to make that perfectly clear to everyone. Because I have seen... Actually, no, I don't want to go into the rabbit holes I've been down this week. It's, <laughs> it, I've done pretty well over the last 10 days to unplug from like work life. But 
I didn't delete Twitter off my phone, and that that was a real error. Um, <laughs> if if I'm totally honest, but the point is, you're right, George, because he, he, there's not that much going on that he can play after the U.S. Open to actually qualify. I think I think the the bigger question would be is like how bothered he can be to try and qualify because don't get me wrong if Djokovic wanted to qualify by virtue of points he he could go and roll five hundreds at the back end of the season like well, a motivated like, you know, there's only a limited number of weeks in the year George there's you know you've got Vienna don't you and you've got they not what are they doing instead of China this year well they, they haven't they've... really confirmed the Masters Tashkent isn't it Tashkent five hundred instead of uh, yeah. Sha- instead of Shanghai. But basically, they haven't replaced it with a Masters event. So, right. so there actually is a bit of a deficiency of points. Yeah, so there's actually not that many 500s in the second half of the year. So there's Tokyo. Uh, that's Paris the Masters, of course, which yeah. you could easily win. Uh, and yeah, two, two of the 500s are in the same week. Of the four 500s, he could only win two of them. So it wouldn't be that easy, Calvin. Uh, I mean, for one, I find it strange that they've not put another Masters on. You think it wouldn't be yeah. that difficult to put one on somewhere. I'm sure... Even as bad as it is, I'm sure one of the Middle Eastern countries or Tashkent or someone would have put 500 on if they wanted to. Um, they're never really struggling for money, are they? Well, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I don't. I'm not good on like exactly what makes you a Masters event, what you have to qualify for. But it needs like three stadiums over 5,000, I think. And right. so that's obviously okay. that. You know, they could relax the rules for that, though, right? Like you could just say, ah, well, you know. But the, maybe I guess the financials don't really add up then, and. But that's what it comes down to in the end. Like the reason those stadium minimums exist is because you've got to make them money, and yeah. I suppose they they probably don't. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, as, as funny as it is that Djokovic is having these issues getting in, and you know, it's, I do find it quite quite funny, if, if for nothing no other reason than it winds up his weird fans. Um, <laughs> but um, it is going to make a bit of a mess of the ranking system and the seeding system for tournaments. Like we're going to be going in next year, and like Djokovic could be like not seeded, or he's already seeded. He's already going to be seeded seven at the best. Yeah, um, I mean, if he gets in U.S. Open, it's not going to be great for. It's one of those, isn't it? I always, you always use this analogy that like it's just going to mess the tournament up because it, it's all well and good. Where it's like the FA Cup when like Cardiff make it to the semis and then have a great win and then you've got an FA Cup final that's like Man City against Cardiff. Yeah. And it's just rubbish. And that's but, what's going to happen with tennis, I think. But then Unless that it's has like all... Wigan. <laughs> it's not like Wigan George. Yeah. It's never like Wigan. <laughs> uh I don't know if you've been to Wigan George. I know I know you went to university in Leeds, so you're very, you know, well measured with the north, but um it's the thing is, you say that Calvin and you're right, but like this happens every year with Rafa Nadal. Like, you should see, like, if you look at, like, the number that Rafa Nadal has been seeded at various different Grand Slams, and, like, he's very rarely actually seeded in the top two, which is where he should be, you know, during his peak years, because he, he so often doesn't have the, the ranking points, or he hasn't played, or he's had four months out with injury, and the same with Federer to an extent as well. So, yes, I think you're right, but, like, it's just, it is just a bit going to be one of those things, I think, George. But- the bigger thing that will be messed up for Djokovic, of course, is this ludicrous target Goran Ivanovic has set this week. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, tell, tell us more, George. He He's claimed, now bearing in mind, as it stands, Djokovic is unable to play the Australian Open and US Open for the foreseeable. Um, they're, they're targeting 30 Grand Slam titles before he retires. So he's on, what, 21 at the minute? <sighs> 
I mean, that is... that. I mean, even if he's going to win three a year... Like, three a year is, like... That would be one of the greatest runs of all time, to win nine of the next 12. Uh, uh, even even notwithstanding his, like, visa yeah. eligibility. Like, even... At 35. If, yeah. <laughs> even if you went and got, like, a Johnson & Johnson jab tomorrow, it would still be spectacular to win nine of the next 13 Grand Slams. And yeah, what is he now? Thirty four? Is he thirty five? He's thirty five. Yeah. So he'd be thirty eight by the time he knocked off, or thirty nine even by the time he knocked off the last one. I mean, thirties just. I mean, Goran says a lot, but he doesn't. It's weird for him to like put that number out there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he, I I, remember, I asked Goran when he won Australia a few years ago. I think the one where he hammered Nadal. I was like, it's. I, you must be thinking he can pass Serena, like based on the rate he was going, and that at the time that was like, oh, you know, he Goran was like, yeah, I think we can, but most people were like, well, that's a really long way away. But the, having thirty, that, that, that would be absolutely, totally ludicrous, even without the uh, the issues he's facing getting into any of the tournaments. That's going to be the biggest problem, of course. <laughs> Cal- Calvin, have you t- have you targeted a number of uh, challenger titles for for Henry to win by the end of his career? Have you you mapped that out yet? <laughs> no, I'm hoping there are not many challenger titles. <laughs> well, I'm hoping there are, but I'm hoping that's not the uh, that's that's not the limit on it. I'm kind of hoping. Uh, I mean, I already have two, so yeah, you know, maybe yeah, another. Fine. I guess yeah. The thing with challenge, if they won another three or four, they're probably out of challengers. Yeah, yeah. So, Am I am I right in playing that saying they're playing in the US tonight or are they playing tomorrow night? But they only got there this morning, so I hope oh, it's wow. not tonight. Um <laughs> it would I think they've requested a Wednesday start, um okay. whether that's granted or but it'd be tomorrow at the earliest. They're not playing okay. today. Very good. Out in Lexington, uh Patton and Cash are number three seeds in the challenger there. Are they and they're playing three tournaments out there, is that right? No, they're playing more now. They're oh, great. um they're going three before the US Open. So they're going no, they're doing four before the US Open. They're doing Lexington, Chicago, Vancouver, and Granby. And then a two-week break for the US Open. And then they're staying out and doing, I think, another two in North and South Carolina. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're still listening to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, George Belshaw, and Calvin Beton, who was, just before the break, uh, listing his uh, his player Henry Patton's extensive U.S. schedule. Calvin, we'd got as far as the U.S. Open, and, and then there's more. Yeah, then they go, it gets a bit weird, the schedule then, because I think it's somewhere in South Carolina, followed by one in Ohio, followed by one in North Carolina. Ah. So whoever's doing the the scheduling on that has not looked at a map of the United States of America. <laughs> um, well, I, I feel like the, the, the attitude to domestic travel in the United States is quite different. They, they seem quite happy just to fly around everywhere and rack up the air miles. Yeah, and weirdly, don't have they don't have any trains no. in America, really, do they? Which no, you, is really odd. You can't go sort of interstate. It's really strange. Yeah, Very strange um, indeed. But yeah, and then Luke, my other player, of course, is going to do three challenges in Poland, Mallorca, and Cassis. Ooh, lovely! And are you get are you are you on that trip? Uh, I think I may go to one or two of them with Luke. I'm not going to America. The the flights to America are extortionate at the minute. Yeah, so, um... the pounds. The, the, it's it's complicated without getting boring by the fact the pound is so weak at the moment. Like the pound to dollar rate is currently the same as the pound to euro rate, which is absolutely horrendous. I think they're expensive anyway because uh, one of the American lads who was over playing tournaments over here has just flown back and he couldn't believe how expensive it was oh, really? for him. So yeah. yeah. There you go. Cost of fuel hitting everyone. Cost of living crisis in tennis. That's a, that's a story that needs writing. Uh, now, let's move on. Uh, we talked earlier about Atlanta. Um, the next stop on the ATP and, in fact, WTA Tour is Washington this week. Uh, it's a really tasty-looking draw. We've already had a couple of matches completed. Uh, I think the biggest one, and I want to really celebrate this. Uh, we try not to celebrate things too much on this podcast, but... Kyle Edmund winning his first ATP level match since the US Open 2020 uh, is definitely something that deserves to be celebrated. He beat Yosuke Watanuki 6-4-7-6-10-8 in that second set tiebreak. Um, for people who don't know, Kyle Edmund, of course, who has been British number one, he has been an Australian Open semi-finalist. He's been absolutely plagued by injury over the last, well, I suppose three years, really. Um, various knee problems that... No one could really quite work out what they were at one point and um, lots of hesitancy over over making a full comeback. Um, but he has played, I think, now uh, three to- or two tournaments, I should say, this summer. Uh, won a challenger out in Winnipeg where he won a couple of matches and now he's playing in Washington on his protected ranking uh, and he's picked up a win in the first round. Calvin, you'll have been on court with Carl and in and around Carl, as they say in uh, football parlance. I mean... This has obviously been a pretty long journey for a guy who's had to work pretty hard for it. Yeah, and his coach Colin Beach is a good friend of mine, and I know it's been it's been a tough um, couple of years for both of them. Mm. Um, and I'm just so happy for both of them that that he's back and he's competing. And I, I watched his match early, and he looked pretty good. Did Kyle? Mm. A bit rusty, match rusty, but there was no sort of physical signs of any issues. And uh, 
was hitting huge still as he as he always did. I thought he looked from the numbers anyway like he was serving huge as well. I mean the serve numbers look really big. Yeah, he lost his serve once in the first game of the second set. He just won the first set. Um, and it, that kind of happens when you're a bit match rusty, that kind of thing. So he just won a big first set and then immediately lost his serve to love. Yeah. Um, but then then got his got his act together and um, and ended up winning from there. But um, yeah, yeah, like I say, looked good. I mean, it was quite funny because there was literally no one in the stadium other than Beach. <laughs> <laughs> um and maybe maybe some of um of the his opponents um team but there was literally no one in there mm. he now plays dan evans <laughs> which is yeah. quite a funny little draw i mean i i don't know how how i mean he obviously knows evo very well uh, yeah, he will, and then Evo's used Beach a bit uh, to travel with him when his own coach can't um, <laughs> can't go. So that's a bit of. I mean, that's just. I used to. I just hate those situations because it's just so awkward for everyone right. involved, and you rarely get a good match out of it. Um, yeah. And I don't imagine that anybody anybody involved in that match will enjoy that. <laughs> um, has Carl got a decent chance? Yeah, yeah, it's always tough to know where players are at. Um, of course, you, you know you'd think. I mean, Evo's got to be favourite mm. for sure, but you never know where Kyle's at. And I actually think Kyle has a decent head-to-head against um, Evo as well. I know he's beat him in a couple of. I think he beat him in a couple of Challenger finals, maybe. Right. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. I mean, sorry, George, go on. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, in terms of level, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, obviously. Him being out of the game for so long, any win is absolutely brilliant at this level. But he, he couldn't have asked for a much better kind of return match, could he? I mean, this, this guy's, I don't think, been above the top 170 or something. So, mm. you know, that that was like a really good first step now. This is a good, good, good test. But, you know, Dan's had some odd results this year as well. He's been susceptible to some bad losses. And Kyle's got a big game, you know. Yeah. Hits really well. If he if he's striking uh, is on song, then then why not? But yeah, I'd, I'd probably favour Evans, given how difficult it is to return after years of not playing. It's kind of weird. I mean, you know, Carl Edmund was was top fifteen in the world. I mean, I appreciate it was a slightly weird moment in time. You know, that kind of odd twenty eighteen spot where um, you know Murray had been out for a while. He just started getting injured. Djokovic had had surgery. Um, it, but nevertheless, I mean, Calvin, do you think he could get back there again? Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. It's not like the game's moved on since he was there. Um, yeah. I mean, the the only thing I'd say is that he'd started to struggle a bit before the injury. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like it hit him then, but I don't know how much the injury was to do with that. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I'd say there's no reason why he can't look. Look, there's some spots in the top in the top twenty going to be opening up mm. soon. Some players are going to have to step into them, and and I think Kyle's as well placed as anybody if he can stay injury free. I guess we talk a lot about like how players are going to push to their ceiling and beyond it. And one thing he's got that we often say you can't learn is weapons. Like he hits the ball huge, and like you know, as you say, if he can stay fit, that that's always going to be with him. So yeah. Um, Best of, we we wish Carl well. I mean, I think everyone would when when you know how how much he's been through over the last two years. Yeah, for I mean, for what it's worth, because I know everyone keeps asking me loads of questions in the mailbag, so I really <laughs> value my opinion. Um, my my personal feeling was that Carl had 
had really hit his ceiling beforehand. Um, so I'm not saying he can't get back there. I don't see him going higher than that. Um, this coming from the man who said Cam Norrie. No yeah, I, I was going to say, how many times has Cam Norrie smashed the George Belshaw um, ceiling? It's at least three. But I think the thing I would say about Kyle there, I know Calvin said the game hasn't moved on, but I think what's happened is the, the generation of guys who are coming through behind Kyle are now a lot stronger than they were. That was a bit of a a gap time in some ways, even though you obviously had the big four mucking around. There is bigger strength in guys like Medvedev, Zverev, Sissipas kicking around, who I, I think are all like comfortably stronger than Kyle and you know, at the same time, you had like Dimitrov around there as number three. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a little bit of a gap in the market. The only thing I'd say to that, George, is that Sinner is winning titles. Sinner's a legitimate top ten player, and and he's he's similar to Kyle in the way they play. They're both big hitting players who, let's to be fair, don't have much of a plan B. They're both think, big strikers. I think Sinner hits the backhand way better than Kyle. Though Kyle's backhand improved a lot, but it, that's a Good shot. Like I think yeah, that's but I'd argue that Sinner, to be fair. I'd argue that Kyle's forehand is probably bigger than Sinner's, not by loads, but he hits it harder, I think. But I think for me, the backhand gap between Sinner and Edmund is far bigger than the forehand yeah, gap. Yeah, Sinner's probably two. yeah, but but I'm talking about game style. I'm not talking about, you know, sort of how they've who's better at what. Although I don't think there's as much in it overall as what you're saying. That that doesn't mean I don't think Sinner's a better player. Because there's other things that come into it, mentality, that kind of thing, which you know, Kyle's a good mentality. Um, but I think both of them are big ball strikers who don't have much variation, and neither of them move unbelievably well. The, the thing I would say about Kyle, as you say, kind of in terms of mentality and stuff, I mean, he he does he will have a big point to prove now as well. Like he is a bit of a yeah. forgotten man in British tennis. You never know which way that's going to go. I mean, there's two flip sides to that, isn't it? There's the, and do yeah. you trust your body or is it, uh, I'm making up for lost time? You know, that, that's often the two, the forks in the road at this stage after a massive injury like that. Yeah. And, and also we come back to my, one of my favorite topics is when you're saying Sinner has a better backhand, what do I always say? That the, the most pointless, good shot, most pointless <laughs> big weapon in tennis is. Um, it's forehands all right as well though, to be fair. So yeah. Forehands yeah. all right. I don't think his forehands any better than Kyle's. Mm. Well, Carl does have a big forearm, to be fair. Here's hoping that Carl uses his protected ranking. Or he's in the US Open, and he's certainly on the entry list. Mm. Um, here's hoping he draws Yannick Sinner in the second round. That'd be ideal. And uh, we can settle this once and for all, <laughs> like men. Um, moving on swiftly to Emma Raducanu, uh, who is obviously in the draw in Washington this week. Uh, she is the second seed in the singles, I think I'm right in saying, and she's not seeded in the doubles, where she's playing with Clara Torsen. Now, um, we'll maybe come on to that in a moment, because there's other interesting developments with Emma Raducanu. She has picked up Dmitry Tursunov um, for a spell as her coach, uh, who was working with Annette Contivate, uh, and then split with Annette Contivate. Have I got that right? Have I made that up? Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Please. No, I was right. Because then um, Annette Contivate then picked up Torben Belts, who had previously been Emma Raducanu's coach. So the uh, the great WTA coaching roundabout goes on. Um, the slightly amusing thing <laughs> is that last year Dmitry Tursunov said in an interview that if you did get the Raducanu job, you'd just be terrified about when you were going to get fired. He, he is now, uh, it would seem, terrified about when he's going to get fired. Well, exactly. 
He's, he's not even in, he's back in the famous trial period, isn't he? I think oh, he's in Callum's the trial period favorite. and got other commitments in the first four weeks. I mean, it's, it's just another, oh, I don't know. I, I, don't want, I don't want to get accused of, I'll maybe take Calvin's role of uh, criticizing Radicardi this time, but I, I, I just don't get this again. I, I don't, and there's nothing against Tersnov as a coach. It's just the idea again of starting a new trial and not having someone who's available for six weeks in the build-up to a Grand Slam. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, it, at the end of the day, look, the bottom line in all this stuff is always going to be something to do with money. That's the reason these coaches are flipping around. I'm sorry. I just don't believe they can seriously believe this is a good, sustainable route. It's just nonsense. I mean, it's sustainable for the bank account, yeah. I think I think that's, that's, that's what they see. I think, I mean, maybe Calvin, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I suppose if you've just split with a player, you're probably facing the prospect of maybe a few months without work and Camp Raducanu come along and you're like, well, it's unlikely to be a long-term commitment and I'll make, you know, a whatever figure sum for the next couple of months while I'm also kind of shopping around a bit and, you know, keeping my eye in. Does, it, does that sound realistic? Yeah, yeah, you know. Tessanov will do it. She's, she's a good player, you know. Any coach, yeah, I say any coach will. We discussed it before. I'm not sure they would, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, she's a, she's she's a good player and he's a coach. She coach mm. got to work. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's getting a bit boring now. You know, it's like just this this same thing, isn't it? You know, it's like I guarantee the next coach she sets on after Tersonov, they'll come out and they'll go. It's only a trial basis. Yeah, this this. Yeah, I don't. I actually not sure it is all about the money. I'm sure it factors in the money, but I think there's a, a level of arrogance as well. This thing that we keep hearing that no coach can match Emma's tennis IQ, and she she likes to ask them questions, and that she she, she likes to ask them questions that she already knows the answer to, so, and see if they answer it correctly. Like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I, I I'd be interested really because obviously Tersnoff spent a decent amount of time with Conservate, like I think a year, and was previously with Arena Sabalenka. Like I, in terms of personality, I don't see much sort of synergy between like Raducanu, Conservate, and even Sabalenka. To be honest, like Conservate and Sabalenka strike me as quite easy going. And the the kind of thing that we hear from most people about working with Radicano, she's quite intense. And I I don't know, I don't know. I just I think so much of coaching relationships at any level. Like yes, there's technical stuff, and and again, Calvin, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. You always do. Um, but so much of it is about having like a positive working relationship and like having similar styles. I think to just like your approach to life and your approach to tennis. Does that does that make any sense? Uh, yeah, it it does, but this just happens too much. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. You know, you got to gel with the the person and that kind of thing. But uh, it's just all the time, isn't it? It's like it's happening all the time. And you think like, what amazes me is that no one in in the camp has gone. Look, we really need to settle down now on yeah. this one. We need to start doing something a bit different. Let's make a big call on this and let's let's go with it. Hmm. But no, here we are, exactly the same. Yeah. And I think the thing is that at the moment, for the most part, um, the kind of consensus, the media consensus, the social media consensus, while there is a lot of criticism, I think 
the general direction of travel of the public is mostly positive still. Like, you know, it's just still less than a year since she won the US Open. But I think if she, like, loses second round of US Open and we go to Australia next year and she's maybe got another coach, which isn't that unlikely, and, you know, all of a sudden she's... Because she's going to take a big hit in the rankings as well. All of a sudden she's not seeded at events and things like that. I think then you might see the tide turn pretty quickly and 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 then you might actually think if you're within the camp i don't know it depends how much you care what people say like and you know we know that they do care a bit what people say but i don't know they care hugely what people say massively yeah. i mean i mean i do i do have a degree of sympathy with radicano in terms of the whole yeah you know, she's she's come out this weekend she, and she said yes yeah, actually i've been thinking a lot about like where i am for my age and my experience on the tour that this this has been nowhere near as bad um so i thought would i know calvin calvin's mantra and this is once you've won a grand slam title it doesn't matter you you adapt or whatever but i, I there, there is a, a part of me that does have that sympathy with her i think i think the big thing for me is like the the, the chopping and changing the coaching she got away with last summer because Okay, she got rid of Nigel Sears after Great Wimbledon, went for Andrew Richardson. It won worked. The US Open. Yeah. It, it was working, but that we had, and as we said last year, we've got such a small amount of time to really know and understand Raducanu at the top level. It was hard to, you know, the time was like, oh, maybe she has learned this new magical way where you pick and choose coaches for a few months. Now we're looking over the last, if you take the US Open to now, a year's time. You're asking me what's developed in Raducanu's game, what's really stronger now, where she got better tactically, where she got better stroke-wise. I'm really struggling to tell you anything. And that, that to me, is a big worry. And obviously, you know, we can say she might have performed above her level and she had a good run at the US Open and players do get into really hot streaks. But it, I, there is that degree of concern that if we're taking her at face value of where we're improving for a player as good as she is i don't think it's necessarily good enough to be like okay well i'm, I'm getting used to the rigors of the tour that's fine but where's the improvement in the game where's the sign that the things that haven't been going well is really improving I, i've not seen that personally this year and that that's where i think she'd really settle from that long-term voice who's working with it consistently rather than that stop start here's a new voice let's try that let's actually have a slower incremental development you, you've you've not seen it, George, because you just don't have the tennis IQ that Emma. Does. You, you, you <laughs> that, well, that's probably true. Yeah, none of us do. Yeah. Probably probably us do. Yeah. yeah. No, but look, I also think, joking aside, the stuff about the asking of questions that she already knows, what she, well, in inverted commas or in brackets, what she thinks is the right answer to, mm. to catch them out. That's not a good basis to start a coaching relationship. No, it's it's that starting anything from a premise of they don't know as much as they as I as I do, is never going to work out well. Yeah, and 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 that seems to be the position with every coach on the planet. Well, look, her dad thinks that every tennis coach is rubbish. I don't mm -hmm. see how that's ever going to move away from that. Yeah, it, I think it, it, you're right. Actually, a starting point in relationship is really important. I talked about the relationships you know that you have to build. And yeah, if you start from that position of kind of animosity almost and, you know, you've got to prove to me that 
you know X, Y, or Z, or you've got to prove to us, I should say. Um, I, I was just going to make one point that... Why, sorry, James, just can I nip in? Why would it... Obviously, you talk to player coaches before you set them on for a trial period or before you start working. Why wouldn't you just do it then? Why yeah. is the actual work on court when you start trying to catch the coach out? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose at, at that point, when you're thinking about like granular detail of the relationship, like we're relying on secondhand sources and like you know things can get construed in in different ways but yeah, yeah. i mean you, you're right of course like if that were the case then that would be really weird um, and i'll but... say that look, I, I seem to say this a lot i feel feel like i'm having a go i'm not i think she's a, a fantastic talent she's a, a, obviously she's a grand slam winner and every time i've been around her company i find her a really nice girl and yeah. i don't I, I don't miss wish to criticize i just think that she's not getting the best advice yeah we shall see how it turns out (laughs) that's just frustration isn't it i mean frankly we wouldn't really be bothered if this wasn't a player we thought could be really really good and kind of a a big kind of flag bearer for british tennis for a long time and you know she will be either way you know she's a grand slam champion she's got a big um you know presence in in british sport but it is kind of difficult to see what you perceive to be the wrong decisions. And again, you know, we'll hold our hands up all the time and say we get things wrong all the time. Um, but I'm struggling to see the body of evidence that in the last year, the decisions that have been taken have, have been to her, to her benefit. And that mm. that's where the concern lies for me. Indeed. Um, why is she playing doubles? Well, she needs to improve her net game. So actually, that's that's one area there. That's that's probably the smartest thing I've seen anyone do all year. So that's <laughs> Tersenov already, the best coach I've seen her have so far. <laughs> uh, yeah, she incidentally just for people who don't know, she's played almost no doubles to any kind of real competitive level. She obviously played a bit of Battle of the Brits doubles. She played. I'm, I think I'm right in saying she played De- uh, Billie Jean King Cup out in Prague like, over Easter. She's played about five junior tournaments doubles, but otherwise. Very little of it. I mean, is that unusual, Calvin? Or, or do you get players like that who don't even bother playing doubles like at, at junior level? Uh, yeah. I th- if if you're as good as she was, then a lot of players don't play it. Yeah. The main reason why a lot of players play in juniors is if they one they're not getting enough matches. Yeah. And two, they I mean doubles rank doubles doubles counts towards your singles ranking in juniors. I see. Um, it counts, you get a quarter, a quarter of your doubles points count towards your singles ranking. Right. Okay. Um, so, um, a lot of players will play that if they need to get the singles ranking up, but Emma was just winning everything anyway. So she never needed help getting the singles ranking up. I see. Okay. Well, we'll see how she fares with, um, Clara Torson, another sort of quite similar big hitting girl from the same, I think they're the same birth year as well. So there's a sort of same class to use that Americanism. Um, lots of other British interest in Washington as well. Jack Draper uh, is in the main draw on merit, on ranking, which uh, I just thought worthy of note because I think it's probably the first time he's got into a tournament of that calibre on the basis of his ranking. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, which is a kind of just a sign of how important those ranking points are to keep laddering your way up. Um, Dan Evans, as I mentioned, is there. Uh, some bloke called Andy Andrew Baron Murray. I've not heard of him that much recently, but he uh, is literally playing as we are recording. So uh, we wish him the best of luck 
against Mikhail Ima. Um, a decent draw on the men's side and on the women's side when where both Serena and Venus Williams are playing. Uh, George, there's some some video of them practicing together. You're making a face at me. Serena actually in the draw. I couldn't spot her earlier. Maybe I totally missed her. I thought it was just Venus in the draw and she'd just been practicing. That's actually a great party. question. I just saw her practicing, so I assumed that she was playing. I don't but think she's in the draw. She's actually not in the draw, Venus. is she? Yeah, okay. Uh, but anyway, nevertheless, the thing I wanted to ask you about was the video of Venus and Serena like practicing together. I actually thought they both looked all right, but maybe if you're both not playing very well, it just makes you both look a bit better. <laughs> I think it'll be... I mean, I think... It'll be interesting to see where where Venus is at. It feels like I've not seen her play tennis for quite a long time. Um, Serena, we kind of said it the other week, didn't we? I mean, it's it's good she's doing some warm-up events for the US Open. My my gut feeling she's not going to get anywhere near the level she needs to be at to really impact the tournament. And by that, I mean quarterfinals onwards. Um, I think I'd expect a first three, four round loss there. Um, but look, it's there's still big characters for the game. There's still people that will put bums on seats. And, you know, we're in last chance saloon for seeing a lot of these great players. So people will be rushing at every opportunity to get there and catch Serena's final farewell or Venus's final farewell. And whether they're going to announce that's happening this year whether this is going to relight the fire for Serena to try and have a proper push for it next year, I don't know. But it's yeah, I'm not I'm not overly optimistic about either of their chances at, at a slam. I, I do wonder if they're just going to call it quits. To be honest, at the same time, just say see ya. But that's based on nothing other than random gut feeling, James. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, there's so many factors at play as well, like. You know, I don't know if Serena wants to have another child, you know, for example. She obviously had a really traumatic birth the first time she started a family, so she might want to not push that later, have it sooner rather than later. That could play a role. You know, she's obviously got the Margaret Court record to think about, and I do think that is still playing a big part in, in her thinking. Is she, she just thinks... I think she probably looks at people who are winning Grand Slams and thinks... I'm better than Elena Rybakina. I just need one of these runs through a Grand Slam. And I can do that twice. All I've got to do is keep turning up, play six events a year, and I must surely be able to win. And I'm not... I I don't even think she's that wrong in that, to be perfectly honest. But um, I think physically too much has gone now. Like, yeah. she's just... She's just not match fit enough. I mean, yeah. Just uh, yeah, be perfectly honest. You Do you think it's that... It's that situation now where, like, if she played a full tour, she'd get injured far too much. And if she doesn't play full tour, she's not match fit enough. Yeah, I mean, look, I always remember, I think it was Leighton Hewitt once, in kind of talking about this in, in terms of Kyrgios. Like, he was saying Kyrgios is 18 months off being match fit in terms of playing the tour regularly, being able to withstand the grind of it and, you know, be put your body through big situations that you know you can handle it in big moments. I mean, Serena must have a lot of a lot of fear in, in matches at the moment, like in terms of, is my body going to hold up? She's had a lot of bad injuries over the last three or four years. Mate, you know, I, I don't want to speculate on how much work she's putting in or not, but, you know, the camp 
and by the camp, I mean, Moritoglu has always been pretty clear it wasn't at the level it was before. Yeah. I didn't see the signs that had changed at Wimbledon this year. Putting in a few events for the US Open's a better sign in terms of kind of uh, respect's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like understanding the magnitude of what it takes to win a Grand Slam at, at the age of 40 is, you know, you probably need some events <laughs> in the year to kind of help build up to it, even acknowledging how good Serena was and still is. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, but it's hard to get back once you've lost it. And I'm not saying she's totally lost it, but it, time does catch up with it, just with every great sports player. Yeah, yeah. Athlete is the word you're looking for. Athlete. Though, yeah. I started with sports and I was like, I don't want to sports, go either way there. Sports player. Sports player. She's always been a great sports player, though. Um, a sportiste. Sportiste. <laughs> Uh, yes, very good. Um, she, uh, as I say, uh, as I incorrectly said, uh, she's not in action in Washington, but Venus is. She's in the draw, got a wild card there. Uh, we've got the men in action in Los Cabos. Uh, Daniel Medvedev, Cam Norrie playing down there. Uh, San Jose is the place to be if you want to watch tennis this week, though. I would suggest absolutely stacked WTA draw. Mm. Coco Goff, Naomi Osaka, Garbina Muguruza, Paola Bedosa, Maria Sakkari, Ons Jabur, Rina Sabalenka, uh, Bianca Andreescu. Several of those may have lost already, in fact. Yeah. Goffa Saka was due to be round two as well, so pretty. Yeah, you, and may may already be in the book, you know, slated for, for um, the next day by the time, depending on when you listen to this. So, uh, certainly a match worth watching. Um, I mean, of those names I've just rattled off, George, which do you think needs a decent run the most before the US Open? Um, I mean, the, the the one that is really obvious to jump to is Osaka in terms of, you know, it feels like she needs to kind of re-announce herself to the tour and get that, that fear factor back. But I'm actually going to go a bit more left field. I'll let Calvin do the obvious one with Osaka. And I'll, I'll do, I think Papadosa could really do with a good week. It feels like she's dipped quite a lot to me um, this year as a whole. Um, I was getting kind of confident i thought she'd be pushing slams much later than she is and yeah. i'm now sensing a little bit of a, a stagnation um mm. so i think she could do with a couple of decent decent results to get they, herself so, going uh, again unfortunately you didn't get the right answer which is gobinia muguruza who oh, des- yes. Sorry. Des- desperately needs I, a I, run. I missed her I mean, off the list. We all know she needs a run. It's actually like it's. I mean, it's actually sad. Like it is genuinely sad what's happened to Muguruza over the last six months. And she, you know, I, I've said a couple of times that I don't know whether and but there maybe there is something going on that we don't know. But actually, something she said on social media where she was just like, "I keep losing and it's horrible and I hate it and I don't really know what to do," uh, suggests to me that you know much as there might be something going on I'm not sure she knows what it is so um, she probably needs a run um, George uh, Calvin George has teed you up for the Naomi Osaka answer I mean I can't remember what your opinion is on Naomi Osaka when it comes to whether she's someone that needs matches or, or is she you know that good and, and that kind of player that she can play one tournament win one lose one and then she's ready no, if if the draws are all right, I wouldn't say she desperately needs matches before the US Open. But the problem is with her ranking. Is she going to get seeded? Is she up there? 
What a tremendous question. No. I doubt it. I don't think she's, she is. She's yeah. number 40 in the world. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's maybe. not impossible. Well, oh, a couple of match wins, yeah. But even then, if you get seeded, you know, if you get seeded 32, then you're looking at Schwantek maybe in the first in the third uh, round. And that that's the problem. Were it not for that, you know, I think she could beat anybody outside of the top three or four if she avoids them. Yeah. But I think in order to, if you, if you want to compete against Frontech at the US Open, whether that be in the third round or the final, I think we're going to need to see a bit of a run yeah. of form before then. Um, you... And she's, it's important for 10, look, she's important for all those tournaments. The more, the more time that Naomi Saka is on the tennis court, the more, the better it is for women's tennis and tennis in general. Mm. Do you do you think Sviontek's games moved on significantly since Osaka was dominating the hard courts, or is or is that level of Osaka comfortably better than Sviontek? If you can get somebody now? who hits the ball as hard as Osaka does and is as good as Osaka does, then it doesn't matter what anyone else's games do. Mm. We shall see. As always, the great thing about a sports podcast, eventually we will see. I, th- I think it's going back to George's one on um, on Palabusa. I think what needs what actually needs to happen for Paladosa is a, a boyfriend needs to get a job because it's getting a bit um it's getting a bit Yoko Ono ish, isn't it? You know, if I, I saw it in the flesh at Wimbledon and it's it's and then I'd seen a few people commenting about it on social media and it is getting a bit weird now. He is tremendously good looking. That, He's that's... phenomenally good looking, which makes you think he'd probably get a job. <laughs> He is a bad influence, maybe. Who knows? Uh, speaking of tennis players and boyfriends and things, uh, just a very brief congratulations, not that she will be listening, uh, to Ash Barty, uh, who has married her longtime partner, Gary Kissick, uh, down in Australia in a private ceremony in Queensland earlier this month. So congrats to her. That's the kind of thing you can do when you're no longer playing professional tennis. You can plan and then actually execute a nice wedding and um, you can announce it at your leisure without getting papped too badly. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week on the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, along with George Belshaw and Calvin Beton. Please do leave us a rating or a review. Uh, drop us a nice tweet at Love Tennis Pod on Twitter or send us an email, lovetennispod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Uh, but most importantly, please do come back next week. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.